I can add on briefly, I think yes. that was a great rendition of helping students understand that they have a choice, just like snowbirds have a choice depending upon where they have that dual residency, but also thinking about the values alignment. So sometimes it can be influenced by family members to say like, we've always voted here. This is where you vote. This is what you do. But as people start to figure out who they are, which is part of the college experience, they might say, I have more of a community within Michigan as compared to my home state in Pennsylvania. And so that's where I want to vote based on that value alignment as compared to the this is the way it's always been. Hello and welcome to Student Affairs Now, the online learning community for student affairs educators. I am your host, Heather Shea. Today's episode is all about promoting voting and democracy on college and university campuses. Many states have recently held primaries, including my home state of Michigan, and that sparked the idea of digging a bit deeper into this topic on an episode. I am so grateful to be joined by four folks with various vantage points, both inside higher ed institutions and adjacent, to engage in a discussion about increasing democratic engagement among college students on campus. Before I introduce my guest today, I'm gonna to share a bit more about our podcast and today's sponsors. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find us at studentaffairsnow.com, on YouTube, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by Leadership. Go to leadershape.org to learn how they can work with you to create a just, caring, and thriving world. This episode is also sponsored by Vector Solutions, formerly EverFi, the trusted partner for 2,000 plus colleges and universities. Vector Solutions is the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. Stay tuned to the end of this podcast for more information about each of these sponsors. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Heather Shea. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am broadcasting from the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary land of the Anishinaabe, Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Ottawa, and Potawatomi peoples, also home to the campus of Michigan State University, which resides on land seated in the 1819 Treaty of Saginaw, where I work. So excited to have the four of you today on the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Um, as you introduce yourself, tell the audience a little bit more about you, uh, what your name, role, institution, all of the things um, that you are engaged with on your campuses or in your organizations. Um, and I think we're gonna start with our two folks out like adjacent to higher ed. Um, and Adam, we'll, we'll kick it off with you. Um, thanks for having us today, Heather. Uh, my name is Adam Gizmondi. Um, I'm coming for coming to you uh, from just off of Tufts University's campus, uh, which sits on the colonized homelands of the Massachusetts tribal people. Um, we are just north of Boston. Uh, my work at the Institute for Democracy and Higher Education at Tisch College of Civic Life um, is uh, director of impact, and I kind of oversee lots of different areas of our office, including our communications, some areas of our qualitative research. Um, and our office focuses on that very broad intersection of democracy and higher education. And I should note, I'm a former student affairs administrator as well. Thank you so much for being here, Adam. Uh, Stephanie, welcome. Thanks, Heather. I'm excited to be with you all today and to join my colleagues for the conversation. My name is Stephanie King and I use the she, her pronoun series. I'm the Senior Director of Strategic Initiatives with a program called the All In Campus Democracy Challenge, which is an initiative of the 501c3 Civic Nation. Our work in general entails working with a network of about 950 campuses across the nation, um, acknowledging all tribal lands and the history of where we are, and the fact that we help campuses to institutionalize nonpartisan democratic engagement, being civic learning, political participation, and student voter engagement efforts. We also strive to close the voting gaps based on age and race, with a particular focus on increasing support and outreach for minority serving institutions and community colleges. 
Like Adam, while we're higher education adjacent, um, I used to work in the student affairs profession at small liberal arts institutions on the East Coast, and then formerly held the title of Director of Civic Learning and Democratic Engagement and Knowledge Community Initiatives with the association NASPA. So excited to be back in this space with my student affairs colleagues. So excited you're here. I love it. And just given the intro, I could tell that Sue and Renee know you well. And Sue and Renee are also my colleagues at Michigan State. Um, Sue, tell us a little bit about you. Great, thank you. Um, really happy to be here talking with all of you. And Heather, thank you for the invitation. Uh, my name is Sue Chitra, or I go by Sue also, Webster. I use uh, the she, her series of pronouns. And I am the Director of Student and Community Relations at Michigan State University, uh, premier land-grant institution uh, in the United States. And my work takes place through our Division of Student Life and Engagement, and also through uh, the Office here of Government Relations. So touches on a lot of different areas um, where the university intersects with the surrounding community. I also serve um, on the board of the International Town Gown Association um, and have been at MSU for uh, quite some time. So really happy to be one of the co-chairs of MSU Vote, which is a campus and community coalition uh, really designed to ensure that students are registered to vote, that they're educated about the issues and about candidates, and that they are actually making a plan and voting during uh, election time. So I will uh, turn things over to you, Renee. Thank you, Sue. So it does feel like we're in really good company and among friends because we do get to work together quite a bit. So I'm happy about that. My name is Renee Brown. I use the she, her pronouns. And I am the director of the Center for Community Engaged Learning at Michigan State University, which is a unit that actually reports both in academic affairs and in student life and engagement. And we really have the opportunity to work with students um, in all aspects of their experience here as, at, MS, at Michigan State University. So uh, as Sue mentioned, uh, we co-chair the MSU Vote Campus and Community Coalition. And that allows us to work with partners, both internal and external uh, to our institution. Um, and we're really focused on the education of students, registration and participation in democratic process. And we're just really excited to be here with you all today. Thank you. Thank you all. This is going to be a fabulous conversation, as I said in um, the intro. It's very timely, um, but also the election's still a little bit of ways away. So we have the ability to hopefully um, implement some things and, you know, kind of create the change that we're hoping on our campuses. Um, I'm going to toss it back to you, Adam, really quickly to talk a little bit more about the in the resources than the organization that you all that you work for and how you are collecting data to gauge students democratic engagement. Sure. So um, the thing that uh, folks in the audience may know us best from at IDHE is uh, NSOLV, which is our uh, sort of massive voting study <laughs> um, that we started almost 10 years ago. Um, we collect data on the even year election. So it's the midterm president, midterm election years and presidential election years. Um, and it's a fairly unique study in that um, it's based on actual uh, behaviors instead of, it's not a survey, it's, it's actually, um, we take the voter records to uh, match it up, which is why you get it, you know, nine or 10 months after the election. Uh, but what it allows us to do is give you very concrete uh, measurable, uh, tangible ways of looking at civic participation on campus. Um, so if you get one of those one of those reports uh, that shows you voting rates and registration rates and yield rates on your campus, um, that's us. Um, we also do national looks at the, uh, you know, national numbers, which we'll get into regional looks. Um, and we also have a pretty robust agenda around qualitative research, campus climate, um, equity gap uh, research, and uh, developing other resources for campuses. Awesome, we're gonna add some of those to our resource list for this particular episode, but um, remind us of the acronym. You said NSOLV, but it's the National Study of... <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, National <laughs> Study of Learning, Voting, and Engagement. Okay. It's a bit Absolutely. of a mouthful, uh, predates me, I will say. <laughs> I did not have a hand in naming it. 
but um, yeah, it's one of those things where I think we we were curious if it would work, and it and it's it's flourished. We we currently have um, well over half of all students in the country are represented in the study in all fifty states. Wow, that's great. That is really cool. Um, Stephanie, I know you mentioned some things earlier in your intro, but I am really curious about um, some of the initiatives and strategies that you all have used um, to kind of promote engagement and support higher ed leaders in particular. Yeah, it's a really great question, Heather. And as we're leaning in, you mentioned earlier that the election still is far away. It's it's 84 days for anyone listening at this moment in time will be a little bit around, I mean, probably closer to 80 if I'm doing my math correctly, but also just want to acknowledge that that's sooner than we think as our senior mm-hmm. practitioners are going through orientation and move-in and athletic integration and all these things that happen with the, the first year and transfer experience for our institutions and the return of sophomores and juniors and seniors, right? And so part of our program is to really help administrators, faculty, students, et cetera, really think about what are the opportunities to embed and incorporate voter registration and education into the campus to be a part of the community. So building on the work that IDHE does of those NSOF reports are so valuable. So helping campuses to understand the data that's available to them, which pockets of their students are registering to vote, eligible to participate and turning out to participate is really important to really, I can say really again about how we are incorporating our efforts holistically. Part of our strategy is to really think about how do you document and map out your strategies and tactics to help improve not only your NSOLV numbers within the report that you'll receive from IDHE, but also improve campus culture. So we think of it as like pockets of work. So we have communities of practice, which Michigan participates in as part of the Big Ten Voting Challenge. We do communities of practice based on demographics um, as federally designated. So minority serving institutions, community colleges, HBCUs, really runs the gamut. And then we also look at those day-to-day strategies that help students be empowered to vote. So we have an allintovote.org website, which is a one-stop shop for students to do all the things that Sue mentioned in her outset of registering to vote, verifying their registration, finding their polling location, researching their ballot, making a plan, hopefully executing that plan, and then also encouraging their peers to get involved in the process. Because we know it's not always a one-for-one in the work that we do, and it's really about campus community and culture to foster the act of voting, and then also larger community change. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think um, as I was looking through all of the websites that you all are affiliated with, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many great resources here. And so this will also be a great um, opportunity for us to kind of promote those through this through this um, episode and give some folks some tangible tools about how if they're not already thinking 80 days away, um, what they might be able to put in place. Um, Sue and Renee, I know given our work together that you all have been doing MSU Vote for quite a long time, but could you talk a little bit about um, what specifically the work is and then also what roles each of you play? Because I know co-chairing this is in addition to your other full-time positions um, on campus and, and maybe just a little bit more of kind of the nuts and bolts behind the scenes of MSU Vote. Renee, I'll start with you. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, we have a coalition that represents all all corners of our institution and our community. And so we convene that group. Um, We develop together strategies for making sure that students have lots of opportunities to register to vote, to be educated about what will be on the ballots, where they're voting, um, and to talk to them a little bit more about voting uh, locally in the East Lansing area. We don't have a preference where they vote, but we do want them to understand that they are part of the community here that they're living in for nine months of the year, um, at least. And this is, um, I think, a new challenge as we come back uh, in the fall, where we will have students who have just never really lived on campus or are so new to the experience that we'll be talking a lot more with them about that. I will turn it over to you, Sue. Sue does a really wonderful job of maintaining um, outstanding relationships with our local municipality. So uh, we have the privilege of having um, precincts on campus uh, and our local clerk on campus. Sue, do you wanna talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I would be happy to do that. Um, Renee is absolutely right in, in that building partnerships 
has been really important both off campus and on campus. So in our, our roles as uh, co-chairing this initiative, we work with the clerk without question. We also work with our county clerk. We have um, connections to our secretary of state's office. Then we also work with the League of Women Voters and uh, do our best to ensure that we have faculty and staff representation and student representation, of course, um, on our coalition. In terms of the work with the clerk, um, I think the, the current clerk and her predecessors have all been very committed to including student voices in the entire um, you know, democratic endeavor that is, is the election cycle. And that is everything from you know, helping our students to get registered right where they live, whether that's on or off campus, all the way to, as Renee said, ensuring that we have um, five different precincts right on our campus. So for some people who want to vote in person, it's as simple as walking downstairs in your residence hall and showing up there to vote. Um, in the run up to any election, um, our clerk also ensures that she and her staff are available on campus. So we had one satellite office last year, which was static and in one location. And now what she's committed to do after working with um, a lot of our facilities folks at MSU is she will be rotating every single week in the month of October leading up to the election to be available for students, but also for faculty and staff who have questions, want to understand you know, the the details of how to register or where they can get their absentee ballot or any of those things. Even though she is um, the clerk for the city of East Lansing, her reach and connection to um, other folks throughout the state uh, is, is really important and helpful to our students. So I would just wanna leave this by saying, and we'll explore this more, I think, as the conversation goes on. For Renee and for myself, I think we've discovered that it takes both a sort of a top-down approach um, from the administration and also a, a grassroots or groundswell to shift a culture and to sort of um, make this type of behavior the norm at the institution. And that's not to say we're done, we have a long way to go, but each year we seem to see how um, bridging the gap between you know the the um, grassroots and and above just makes this work uh, more important and helps it to become stronger sorry that was probably longer no, than what renee was fantastic i think it's fantastic on. too and i just i would like to add sue too we work really hard with uh faculty so that this is part of the student's academic life too. And so our goals have focused around that student affairs aspect or student experience aspect, um, but also preparing resources, sharing resources, supporting faculty so that students are hearing uh, from their professors in their classrooms as well and having those great conversations. That is fantastic. Well, I think the relationships really matter, right? And I think that's probably what I, would um, assume would work on most campuses is building those common relationships across, you know, across the the campus boundary, right, to the town and to the municipality in which you're housed, um, but then also building those on campus as well. Um, so switching gears just a little bit, and I think maybe this is where I'm at because I just, my previous episode was just about kind of uh, student engagement post row. Um, and so maybe it's because of that recent Supreme Court decision that has me feeling this way, but uh, it feels like the 2022 midterm election is more consequential than typical midterm elections. Um, is, is there something different? And if so, what is different about this upcoming 2022 um, fall election? Um, Stephanie, I'm gonna pass it to you first. Oh, thanks, Heather. Um I think you're you're right that there's a lot of feeling right now compared to previous midterm elections and not that there weren't hot topics in 2018 and 2014 and so forth. But right now we're coming to an age where individuals have information at their fingertips when it comes to decisions around bodily autonomy, student loan debt, food insecurities, election regulation changes. There is more information available to 18 year olds as they're casting their vote and 30 year olds and 40 year olds and so forth than there ever has been before. 
And those feelings are real and folks are starting to understand the impact of the vote is individualized, right? While we care about community and as you heard from Soon Renee moments ago, like it, it takes an organization to make the voting efforts happen and hopefully happen as seamless as possible on a campus. It's still individualized and it's still important for a person to see themselves in the electorate and to see themselves represented in the individuals that sit at the House and at the Senate that make decisions about their ability to be in community. And I think that's a heightened moment for us to capitalize on of teaching about the democratic process at large, teaching the value of the vote, and then also leaning into it. Like it's gonna be uncomfortable. Like we're built on a system that wasn't meant to represent what we currently are today in our diverse demographics of humans, right? Like it wasn't built that way. And so how do we change that? It's by standing up and getting involved. And so, yes, I think it absolutely feels different. And I think there's also the concern around apathy where folks voted in 2020 and also in 2021 at the local level. And we're like, but my vote didn't count. Like I didn't see my candidate win. I didn't see my issue go into effect or not into effect. And so why does it matter? And it's like that sort of complacency is like, you might as well not vote because you're already putting us in a predicament. And so we need to heighten those emotions into 2022 for folks to say, what do you care about? And I'm not telling you how to vote or who to vote for or any of those types of mm -hmm. things. We can talk on a human level if you want to call me a coffee shop at a later point in life. Mm -hmm. But in this moment, it's just understanding every individual vote has weight and that weight matters. And we on this call and in other spaces have a role to play with that. And I know Adam has more of the data than I will ever have. <laughs> so definitely want to lean into Adam and ask, like, you know, as we're thinking about the growth in the election process between 2014 into 2018, like, I know you can't predict into a glass ball. Um, and Heather, I don't know if I'm allowed to turn the conversation to Adam necessarily, but you know, as NSOLVE's mapping, what does that look like? And, and Sue, from the campus experience, what are you feeling within that? I was just going to say, um, before Adam gets into all those details, I also don't think it's hyperbolic for us to say that democracy is, is threatened. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a lot of challenges. And if one has been apathetic before or thought of it as a one and done thing where, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, that one time I voted or I, I did it and it didn't turn out the way I wanted, it's a, it's a muscle to be exercised, developed uh, and built. And, um, you know, as institutions of higher ed, you know, we, we talk about, oh, we want students to be, you know, analytical thinkers and they're going to think critically and be effective communicators. And we also want to develop students to be engaged citizens. And this is sort of where the rubber meets the road and we can do those things and get people into that, that practice. And I, I just say that to say now more than ever, um, apathy cannot win, win the day. Um, and, and that helps fire us up to, to get everyone even more engaged. So Adam, I'll turn to you. Yeah, what would you add, Adam? Um, sure. I, Renee, were you going to say something? I didn't want to jump in oh, front. I was just going to share with Heather that I agree that this does feel like a different election. Mm -hmm. and, and that is because it is. And the stakes are pretty high in the sense that, you know, an, Roe v. Wade, uh, the overturn of that has really pushed this back to the states. And this is not something that students are necessarily fully aware of. Uh, mm -hmm. And in some states, that will could could potentially mean a change in a state constitution. It could mm -hmm. mean a turnover in a governor seat or Senate seats. And so all of that information is it's hard to capture students attention and share with them how some of these things play out. And that so from my perspective, it feels particularly heightened um, in terms of making sure that students understand the process not how to vote, as Stephanie said, but understand the process. And there's a lot at stake in the process. So I just wanted to share that. And I'm dying to hear any data that Adam has, <laughs> always. Um, I sure. <laughs> um, I, I do want to start uh, with uh, the first question that Heather raised, which was like, why does this feel different? And, and is it different? Um, it's funny, like for us, so we have data going back to 2012 on elections, which is not that long of history. Um, there exists data uh, around young people or which sometimes people consider a proxy for college students. It's not a perfect one because, you know, not all college students are young and, you know, like that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, but 
it's it's you know if you look at each election there are at at in the lightest terms uh quirks around each election and each one is unique in its own way so it's it's sort of hard to say like what's a trend uh and versus like what is you know a product of the conditions of a particular moment but i think the reality is uh we're probably at a turning point in this country and globally right now. And we have some decisions to make as a society, a global society and as individual um, nations around the world. And I think that there are decisions being made every day, small ones and large ones. And I think that, um, you know, if you watch like a movie or something, it's like, this was the turning point. <laughs> and I think there are probably multiple turning points. And I think that there are multiple elections that are, that, are part of the same series of consequential moments for this country. Um, and I think that we're in sort of a continuous one right now. Um, and I think 2022 is, is certainly part of that. And I think that people are feeling it. One of the conversations that we had, uh, I would say going back to 2016 and then kind of past that point was that uh, party politics and like electoral politics had crossed over into almost like a pop culture discussion. Like it went from being a thing that, that, you know, a sitcom or a late night show would like pop in and out of, or like that you'd hear on a podcast. And it started pushing its way into the center where like it was unavoidable for people. Um, and there, you know, we could speculate on all sorts of reasons for that. Like my, you know, some of the research I've done would point to social media being part of the reason for that. Um, but I, I don't know. I would say I'm feeling similarly, Heather, <laughs> that this is a, a consequential one. And I think a lot of people we speak to on campuses um, feel that way as well. So that that's kind of where I'm at on that one. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I just think, um, you know, that the entire environment just feels different in terms of people thinking about it, talking about it. And, and maybe it's the 24 hour news cycle, but that's been a thing for a while. And, and but I do think that social media um, is playing a huge role. I just happened to have been in Washington, D.C. this past weekend on a on a trip with my two teenagers and, and, and my partner and his teenager. And it's just really interesting being in D.C. and kind of feeling the atmosphere. And there is definitely just kind of feels a little bit of tension. I don't know. So I am curious about how uh, how you all have thought about voting, though, and in general about how um, how students do vote. And so Adam, this might be the most obvious question, but do college students vote and has that changed over time? And what information do you have to share with us about, about this information about college students and their voting habits? Sure. So I think um, even just a decade ago, there were a lot of assumptions around um, whether it was, you know, our campus is very active. Students are very active politically here versus, or like, the sort of, um, you know, people blaming young people and saying they're apathetic. Like there were a lot of assumptions thrown around and I think cliched understandings of how these things work. Um, and that's one of the things I think we're most proud of with the NSOLVE study is that we're, we're kind of forcing institutions to put their money where their mouth is and to, to kind of deal with the, the reality of their numbers. <laughs> um, and for us, like voting is sort of a checkpoint. It's not the, the end all be all necessarily, but it's, a, it's an important um, pulse check for democracy. So um, in terms of the midterm elections uh, and some of the earlier data that we have, the, the numbers were abysmal. I mean, just like there's no other way to really say it. Um, in 2014, the average uh, student voting rate was, it was under 20%. It was in the 19% range. Um, and for the youngest students, which was like the 18 to 21 year old students, we we're talking like low teens, like, 13, 14% uh, student turnout. Um, and, and I tend to compare like similar elections. So like midterm to midterm or presidential year, presidential year, just because the numbers are, are dependent sometimes on that because the presidential ones are just, you know, bigger events in a sense. Um, so from 14 to 18, the number basically doubled, more than doubled. It, it was the student voting rate went to over 40%, um, which kind of outpaced everyone's expectations for students. Um, still low. I mean, still obviously like a lot of room for improvement and that there's a range of, of change, but 99% uh, of our campuses, and like I said, we have 
uh, around 1,200 schools now in our study, 99% of campuses improved from 14 to 18, um, which was just stunning to, to our team. Um, and in 2020, we saw like kind of the similar trend. Uh, a little over half of students voted in 2016 in the Clinton-Trump election year. Um, it was around 52%. And then it went to around 66% in 2020. I always tell people when, when we're in person, when not, you know, pre-COVID, we have a whiteboard on our office and we would take guesses as to what we expected as a team, the voting rate to be. And I believe the 66% number was higher than everyone guessed. Nancy, who founded our office, was the most optimistic in her guess, but <laughs> um, two thirds of students voted, which basically matched the national rate just for everybody, which is sort of unheard of um, for college students. So. This is my very long way of saying that, uh, yes, students are, it seems, uh, turning into voters. And we think it's really important, especially like some of the programs that people like Sue and Renee put into place on campus. Um, once you vote, it's, it's, you know, we know through the data that it's habit forming, we always say, which means that you get in the system, you're more likely to be contacted by politicians, uh, offices, campaigns, sort of public outreach projects. Um, and you're, you're more likely to then vote again once you're contacted, asked, reminded, that sort of thing, when you get those nudges. So it's really important once you vote once, you're then more likely to vote again. So this, this can be like a real trend, like a lifelong thing. Once someone votes, um, they've learned the mechanics of it, and um, in a sense, they're more plugged in to, to the system. Personally, I, like, I, I just wish everyone voted. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's not the system we live in right now. So um, yeah, there's, there's some, there's some real positive signs, but we, we do risk, uh, as Stephanie alluded to kind of like a ledge, uh, was, there's a lot of tension in 2020. So we're gonna have to see what happens in 2022. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I, I also recognize that for folks, for international students who aren't citizens of the United States or others who, you know, that's, it's not possible for them to vote. This is a complicated conversation on college and university campuses, but I am really interested in what are the issues that you all are discovering are the things that students are most kind of concerned about or most driving their engagement in voting particularly, and then we can talk about broader democratic engagement as well. Sure. Um, so um, one of the things that we we like to remind people of, like you and you know, you get your NSOLV report, and there might be an instinct to just flip to the third page and say, "Here are the top line numbers." Like we just want to know that. But it's we always say it's it's not important just how many people voted, but who voted, and that mm. you want to really, really examine the pages that come after that, and like any data that you have to dig in on equity gaps and look at uh, who's participating, who's being kind of left behind by the system and the efforts in place. Uh, we have some early uh, findings that uh, that show that even though the 2020 increase happened across the board mm -hmm. at every single institution type, the rate of change was a little bit lower at the two-year public institution. So um, that may be a matter of resources, geography, like there's, there's sort of many possible explanations for that, but that's why you kind of have to stay on top of it. All that being said, um, the the current cohort of students um, seem to be very much issue-based and not necessarily party mm -hmm. politics-based. Mm -hmm. So things that drive action and interest in the political and social systems in this country are things like climate change, uh, gun violence, uh, sometimes divisive individual candidates. There, there's no denying that Donald Trump was very much on the ballot in 2020, whether it was students who really uh, liked him or were uh, you know, vehemently opposed to, to him. Um, and then of course you have kind of like subversions of that in like various Senate, uh, congressional races. Um, but, um, yeah, there, there, I think like the student loan crisis and some of the, the issues around that, like there are some issues that you, you may be able to, to guess are on there. And, and in one of the reports that we'll share afterwards, you can, you can dig in and see some of the the topics that really hit um, for students these days. But it's it's like a it's a, a little bit of a moving target, but um, right now I think that um, that's kind of where we see students at. Yeah, I so, just want to add. add, go ahead. 
I, I was just going to say at what Adam's talking about has been super helpful, even for us, because we are um, a participating campus. And in those reports, we also get a deeper dive from a curricular standpoint. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, when we know that the, the um, rate of participation, for instance, for those potentially in, in STEM fields is not as strong as we find in education or in some of our social science fields, et cetera. When we're having those conversations with um, deans or program chairs or whatever, it's it's very helpful information, um, you know, so that they can know where their students are and, and where the thinking is. So I, I just find the, the data that comes um, from the NSLVE reports incredibly useful and helpful for our our day-to-day -day work that that Renee and I have to do. So I'm going to um, stay with you and just ask some additional kind of basic questions, not just who votes, but can students vote, right? And, and I think part of this goes back to um, people imagining that there's all kinds of repercussions for changing your voter registration. Um, so four questions. Can college students who live in one state register to vote where their campus is located and how do they go about doing that? That's question one. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, the answer is yes, 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 yes. We want um, <laughs> college students to vote and participate uh, as is their right to do so. So um, again, we I think knowing one's campus is very important. So at Michigan State, we still have the majority of our uh, undergraduates come from in-state. So that's, whereas um, even at the University of Michigan, there's a much larger out-of-state population. On our website, msuvote.msu.edu, we do provide links for um, students who wanna get information in their home states because they wanna continue to vote there. Um, and that may be uh, another question you are going to ask because um, potentially, especially now, and I, I will add that some parents feel very strongly about where their <laughs> student should or should not be voting. Um, as Renee said, for us, the most important thing is that they participate in this process. And, and um, we certainly encourage, and our clerk and other municipal leaders would say, this is really your home. Um, and we would love for you to be involved in things like city council um, elections, because that's going to have a, a greater impact on, on some of the things that you care about as a student. So we have that option. I will also add that um, in our state, uh, there were some um, laws passed in 2018, which really opened things up for students. So when you think about no reason absentee ballots or voting, mm -hmm. um, you know, that was a great thing. And, and that really helped to demystify the process and make it just easier for students to vote. So, so that's another thing. But I guess to answer your questions, we absolutely want students to vote. Um, students can walk into the clerk's office. They'd be happy to help. Our website has directions. So does um, the Secretary of State's uh, site in Michigan, which is, uh, you know, if you go to um, michigan.gov slash vote, everything you need, there's a section just for students. So, uh, you know, and again, these other entities like Stephanie and the All In, um, you can go to these websites and you can look things up by state or, um, you know, whatever you need. There's no, as you said, Stephanie, earlier, there's no um, deficit of information or deficiency in, in that. So Yeah. So why might a student want to change their registration and why might they not want to change their registration? And maybe they're are there any kind of repercussions on financial aid? Those are my my yeah. other questions. There are not repercussions on financial aid. And sometimes that is um, sort of a, a some misinformation that's utilized to mm -hmm. maybe discourage people. Um, what we, we just like to tell students is that this is an important part of your development as a student and as a citizen. And so we really want you to participate it, um, in this process. So students have a lot of different reasons. I mean, some are just good intentions like, oh, well, I know this person in my community is running for X or I'm interested yeah. in this issue or worked on it. 
My parents think it would be better, but then we have to say, well, what are you going to be doing on election day? Have you already, um, you know, contacted your local clerk to find out about getting that absentee ballot? And, you know, heck, this is really basic, but do you know where you can buy some stamps if you're, you know, living in a, a particular location? And are you going to mail that in time? Are you planning to go home? What What is your plan? So for us, I mean, again, going back to this notion of, um, registrations in for us we found and I think um, Adam I think Nancy uh, would agree with this that getting people registered isn't always the problem it's the it's the part after that where they make a plan and re and the plan may include buying a roll of stamps so it's it's all of those intricate pieces to, to casting the ballot so um, we are happy to help students we would love for students to vote in the community where they reside and make a difference and have an impact there. But if someone is adamant about wanting to remain in their home community and be a voter there, we will help facilitate that process in, in any way that we can. So. Like Sue, if I can add on briefly, I think yes. that was a great rendition of helping students understand that they have a choice, just like snowbirds have a choice depending upon where they have that dual residency but also thinking about the values alignment. So sometimes it can be influenced by family members to say like, we've always voted here. This is where you vote, this is what you do. But as people start to figure out who they are, which is part of the college experience, they might say, I have more of a community within Michigan as compared to my home state in Pennsylvania. And so that's where I wanna vote based on that value alignment as compared to the, this is the way it's always been. I think the other piece is that young people or college students, if I may, are incredibly savvy and information rich in how they're making their decisions. And so there is tools, as Adam mentioned, between like the youth kind of scathing, not just college students with our colleagues at Circle, where there's a youth electoral significant index. So where might your vote mean different things if you have the choice between oh. states and locations to vote? And that's not to say like, you should vote here because the Republican ticket is really needed or the Democratic ticket is needed, but instead like really assessing what the impact is that you're looking to have and what ability you have as an individual to exercise that right. So yeah, I don't think there's an information deficit as Sue highlighted earlier from me, but there's an opportunity for college students to really determine for themselves, like again, where they find community, where they find value and how to process that choice which maybe as educators, we have a role in helping them see that. Um, it's like taking the horse to water, but I can't force it, but trying to say like, hey, let's figure out all the things that might be helpful to you as a person. Yeah, I, I keep going back to those um, student development theories of self-authorship, right? So at certain points in time, those formulas that you have engaged in stop working and you hit that crossroad. And at what point do you as a, as a college student start writing your own story? And some of that has to do with you know, how you identify yourself, but also what kinds of actions do you take that might be different than the ways that your parents had before. So um, I think that's great. And I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about voting in particular, but I do think that this is a part of a larger conversation about democratic engagement and just in general engagement on our college and university campuses. Um, and so the election, you know, is a period of time. Uh, it feels kind of like, depending upon how much news you're consuming, that it's just this endless kind of slew of conversation about who's running and for what and what are the things that are happening. Um, but how do we, Stephanie, and I'll have, hand this back to you, kind of promote this investment in active engagement in the democratic processes um, and get students involved in that? Um, and, and particularly, how do we do it without appearing partisan, too? Because I think that that's often a struggle is if I mention you need to vote, it's saying why and, and for whom or for what. Yeah, that's a really great question, Heather, as the election is only, to your point, like a moment in time. Yes, mm -hmm. there's a primary and then there's the general and there's likely some local elections sprinkled within there, depending upon your communities. But their moments or days, they're not about changing ecosystems. And so as part of our work with All In, it's thinking about that bigger picture of institutionalization, which is a heavy I word, I realize, but thinking about all the facets of the work that goes into the college experience that's beyond the ballot box to really crank out active and informed citizens in all aspects of the word. And then also you mentioned thinking about employing other parts of our campus community that can't exercise their right to vote. So our international students or our DACA students or those that were previously incarcerated, depending upon the state, 
or 17 year olds that are taking college prep courses or whatever the thing is, like there's so many tools and strategies um, to get them involved. And whether you're a coordinator of student affairs who's been prepping your first voter registration table for NVRD coming up in September, or you're the president that gets to make the decision on where you're putting budgetary resources, like we all have a role to play in making sure that elections aren't just this November, but it's a conversation year round because in January, you're gonna have new transfer students coming into your institution or new first years. So how do you talk to them about the voting process and making sure they're prepared for the next upcoming cycle? I think the other thing is that Renee and Sue can talk a lot more about Michigan's kind of efforts to really think about how do you do dialogue across difference? How do you do service learning? How do you do community service programs that maybe touch more on those issues that students are passionate about? And then attaching that to the exercise of the vote, right? Like if you always care about food insecurity, if you don't talk about politics and vote, you're always going to need someone on that Saturday to work at the food bank because the politics doesn't change if you don't attach the two. And I know Adam can share it. I'm, Adam, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about the work that IDHG does regarding the election impaired reports that have come out that really name steps that practitioners can take to make a change and again, using the big word of institutionalizing the efforts across a campus. Sure, so um, when we initially started releasing the NSOLVE data, um, you know, we don't want it to end there. And for us, it's, it's kind of like, where does the you know, rubber hit the road on this topic? Um, so we've been carrying out a series of campus climate studies um, that fall under the banner of what we call Politics 365, because it is a 365-day-a-year mm -hmm. proposition. Um, and we don't want people to fall into that trap of being like, okay, election day is over, like, we'll revisit this three months before the next election. Like, that's just, that's not gonna, that's not gonna stick on campus. It's not gonna, like, you're gonna... It's, it's not a wise way to do this. <laughs> and for us, it's all about uh, promoting learning. It's, it's educating for democracy mm -hmm. is kind of like the key, the key way of thinking about this. Um, and we're educators in our office. And so um, for us, we've gone around to campuses that have um, unusually and unexpectedly high and low college student voting rates um, compared to what you might expect given their demographics and students served on campus. And um, there are several themes you can, you can see in our work um, that we put out as Politics 365, and then we've put out recommendations for how do we become one of these like top campuses based on what the data tell us. Um, and I'll tell you the most prevailing theme that we saw and that we still continue to see is dialogue across campus, um, mm. talking politics. So that's not just, you know, you're a political science student in the classroom, like sometimes your faculty member will bring up something that's in the news. But it's, you know, at Tufts, we have a, a math faculty member who specializes in, in talking about and studying gerrymandering. Um, we have the, the engineering school, we've been over there and talked about um, equitable uh, city planning and things like what cities have bridges that are crumbling and, and infrastructure mm -hmm. problems and talking about issues of power. And, um, you know, of course in Michigan, like if you look at the Flint water crisis, like we put out a, a dialogue guide on um, talking about like, why, why are some communities underserved versus others and looking at mm -hmm. kind of historical um, inequities and things like that. So, this dialogue across campus, it, it happens in the classroom, it happens in co-curricular spaces, um, many of which are intentionally designed by student affairs uh, professionals. Um, so it's about having those events, those opportunities, like kind of meeting their, where the students are in the res halls. Um, that's, that's really a big part of, of, of embedding this across campus. Um, and the last thing I'll note is like, so we put out a, a report called Election Imperatives 2020, or, and, and that was recommendations. And we started clustering them by areas of campus. So like senior leaders, like your presidents and provosts, and then academic areas, faculty, department chairs, and then kind of student facing folks, including students themselves. Because um, for me, like a lot of this is about social networks and like human mm -hmm. social networks and like how information is shared. And when you think about um, uh, like the bonds that happen and how information is shared in an ideal world, like the way that this works is that you have buy-in from the top level. So you have a, a campus leader, a president who supports the staff and the faculty and truly believes in this and also uses the bully pulpit to 
not only promote these things, but to also stand up for things like academic freedom for faculty, um, for student voting rights in the municipality, um, and for helping put in some actual dollars and resources behind this work. This often, too often turns into a labor of love on campus where you have someone who it's, it's if it's in their job description, it's like the fifth, sixth thing on, on what they're responsible for. And then it's a committee of uh, volunteers that are doing it. And while I have great love and admiration for those people, they need some support. So ideally you have the, that side. You also have students leading students. Um, as someone who has been through many student development theory classes, also Heather, I, I, when you say that language, I'm like, <laughs> yep, <laughs> I hear you. Baxter yeah. Magolda, like I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, students leading other students and providing mm -hmm. those opportunities for one another, like that's where effective change happens. Mm -hmm. And then um, it, it's sort of like cross-cutting work and people in, in positions of, of access to things like the campus calendar or space mm -hmm. on campus. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many different ways that, that you can do this. Um, that scaffolding happens across campus. It's faculty members making space for the campus voter coalition to come in and have five minutes at the beginning or end of class to say you can register in the state of Michigan, you know, in Lansing or, you know, like that, that sort of thing. So, um, yes. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, there's, there's plenty of different ways that, that this, that this can happen on campus. Um, but institutionalizing, it really requires a, a cross campus buy-in, um, and folks working together across campus. So Renee, I'm gonna hand, this is I think our last question before our final question to you is, if somebody who's watching today doesn't have an initiative on their campus, I know we're using Michigan as in Michigan, the state university in the state of Michigan as an example today, um, how might they go about doing that? And then, you know, why is this important? And why is this a student affairs issue? Um, that might already be obvious, but I'm really interested in the, how do we create engagement initiatives if none exists on our campus? Well, it's, I guess it might be hard to find sometimes, but I guess I would recommend, because Stephanie mentioned earlier, this idea of service learning. So for example, on our campus, our mission in the center is to develop lifelong civic and social responsibility responsibility. We do that through a lot of different ways that could be service, but it could also be um, teaching students about advocacy, teaching them about community building. And we have a number of ways that we do that. So one thing that someone could do if they feel they don't have this initiative on campus would be to um, reach out to units like that to see what is what is actually happening or how some of that work might be able to be um, partnered with to strengthen something more around democratic engagement and voting. Uh, I would also recommend that folks look to their students. Um, Sue works really closely with our student government. They're very involved in this topic. And so looking at registered student organizations who have an interest, student government, that's another place where you know you can reach out to see where partners are or to get something started. Um, of course, if you have a public policy school, well, you're right in there because you have you know strong advocates mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I would, I guess, I'm in the state of disbelief that any campus anywhere would have nothing. <laughs> but if they feel that they have nothing, I think those are really good places to start. And if if nothing else. Um, beginning your own campaign about why this is important with administrators and faculty um, and student affairs professionals is really an important way, a way to go as well. Thank you so much. Um, all of you, thank you so much for your time today. We always wrap up every episode of Student Affairs Now with a question um, about what are you pondering, questioning, thinking about, troubling um, now, if, if you had to say, in a few words. And then if you wouldn't mind also sharing how and where people can connect with you, uh, that would be that would be great. And Stephanie, I'm gonna start with you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Heather. And thanks, you know, Renee and Sue and Adam for being in this space today. It's always great to be in a room full of folks doing really great work, whether that's nationally, locally, et cetera. I just really appreciate the opportunity to be with you. 
think the things that I'm thinking about is maybe to Renee's optimism of, I don't believe there's a campus not doing something or a community not doing something. And as we talked about today, there's multiple prongs to engage. So with us, like if you're a senior leader wanting to make a forward statement, we have the all-in president's commitment. We saw earlier this month that the NBA just announced no games on election day. So if you're an athletic coach trying to figure out how to get involved, like we also have our coaches pledge and we work with the all vote, no play team to try and figure out civic drills. If you're someone who's literally like no one's doing anything and I just need to register voters because I think it's important in my class, like you could use all vote.org or any other portal that you're like, hey, I just want to get them voter information that's accurate, not misinformation and to help students mm -hmm. through the process. Like, I think there's people to help. If it was, you know, thinking about Mr. Rogers, like if you look around, there's always going to be people willing to help. And so just take a moment to really assess, like, who's your helpers, who's in your coalition, whether it's at the top of your senior leaders or your students just returning back to campus or starting campus. I'm very optimistic about the engagement with young people and with administrators and faculty to say, we really care. And one way to say that is to give opportunity. And the way that if folks want to get involved with All In, Again, we're a nonpartisan initiative. So to Renee's earlier points of like the fear of partisanship or Heather talking about if you do something, then it's perceived as one camp or the other, like okay. keep everything very much so on that narrow line of walking between the two parties or multiple parties in some states to say that there's opportunities for engagement to do this. You can go to allinchallenge.org to our website. If you're looking for tools, you can go to allintovote.org. Or if you just want to say, hey, Stephanie, you said this thing contact me at allinchallenge at civicnation.org um, and certainly follow up with the best person or point of contact or resource that would be helpful to you. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Sue, your final thoughts. I think lately I've been doing a lot of thinking, not just at work, but outside of work about higher ed and its connection to our democracy. And lucky for me, there are a lot of books out right now. One of them is, um, I think it's Ron, Ron Daniel's book on what universities owe democracy. And there's a lot of information embedded in a lot of literature, articles, et cetera. I think universities are trying to um, reimagine their place in the world and um, they're thinking about uh, democracy, the common good, the public good, um, accessibility, uh, you know, it's just re-envisioning. And I think mm -hmm. democracy is in a similar position for us for a lot of different reasons. So for me, yes, this election feels a little different because it feels more weighty when you think about those two things together. And I think what Renee was talking about earlier, um, you know, this notion of having difficult conversations. We've all talked about it a little bit, but this discourse, I think for too long, we've been like, well, oh, it's politics. Well, politics is based on, you know, our values and sharing and accessibility and having uh, civic and civil discourse with one another. And so all of those things are intertwined. And interestingly enough, that's what we seek in well-developed uh, students who become citizens. So these things are not just two separate things out there. They belong together. And I'm I'm really uh, thinking a lot about that right now. And in terms of getting in touch, I, again, I would go to msuvote.msu.edu where you will find um, my contact info. I believe Renee's may be there and um, just eager to, to connect with anyone who's interested in talking about this further. Thank you for this Thank great you. opportunity. Absolutely. Renee, your final thoughts. Oh, Heather, you didn't ask me what's keeping me up at night directly, but I will answer <laughs> it as though that's what's going on. So I think about, you know, in the same vein as as Sue mentioned, what do we owe democracy? It's, mm -hmm. you know, in Michigan, students take a, a civics class as seniors, and then the rest of the education that they receive about this is just something that really comes from their parents, right? And so as you're thinking about that self-development and you're here on campus or students are here on campus, I feel as though we have to not only be patient and understanding, but figure out in which ways we can provide the right kind of education, continuing sort of education about these topics for students and how we do that in all of the spaces on campus. Uh, that's really important. I think the other thing is it's okay to disagree, right? And so 
thinking mm -hmm. I, we would measure events in the past in the student affairs world by participation, but we maybe need to think a little bit broader of that. Like, do mm -hmm. we have multiple viewpoints represented? Was there a, you know, a good conversation where people disagreed and that they worked through that? And those are things that I would really hope that we can find ways to do. And, and you can find us on msuvote.msu.edu. Um, also, you can find more information about civic and social responsibility on community engaged learning at .msu.edu as well, too. And thank you so much for having us on today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And you might have noticed Stephanie had to duck out. Um, this conversation has been so fabulous, um, but she had to go do some child care pickup, our own civic engagement. Um, Adam, what are your final thoughts? What's troubling you, keeping you up at night, as Renee said, or or what are your things that you're kind of uh, thinking about as a result of our conversation today? Um, you know, I, in our office, uh, one of the things that we like to say is that we're partisans for democracy. Um, mm. And so like we we try to stand for things that are that are pro-democracy. And, and in that vein, like one of the things that I'm really thinking a lot about is what will the conditions be a month from now? What will the conditions be mm -hmm. a couple months from now? Um, because you have a lot of like political prognosticators who will say, here's who I think is going to be president elected in 2024. And it's like, you don't know. I mean, like you really don't like it. <laughs> there are many, uh, history is littered with many people who you, I think it was taken for granted that they would become like this person at some point. And so thinking about like the the conditions, like the socio-political conditions of the moment, like uh, like I said, like a month from now, a week from now, <laughs> those are the things that I'm that I'm constantly thinking about. Um, one of the projects that we're working on right now is uh, on threats to democracy and and um, trying to really uh, state those and explore them, um, and then also looking at. Uh, pillars of an aspirational vision of democracy and kind of like, where should we all be moving towards and, and like aligning our work in a way that gets you to this point. Uh, Renee's heard the speech from me <laughs> already on another project that we're working on. Um, so those are some of the things that, that I'm really thinking about. Um, and also like, will activism translate into like the more traditional forms of political participation? Yes. I'm, I'm really curious about what that's going to look like in practice uh, in the next couple of years, in the next 10 years. Um, so I, 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 I'm curious about it because I think that there are some people that, that don't view politics in the same way that they used to. Um, mm. So uh, in terms of reaching out, uh, our office is at idhe.tufts.edu. Um, and on that, you can find more information about NSOLVE, more information about the Election Imperatives Report and Politics 365. Um, if you want to reach out to me, um, our, our whole office's emails are up on that website, um, on Twitter, uh, at Adam Gizmondi. And feel free to always reach out on LinkedIn and connect with me there. I'm always happy to, to chat with folks. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch definitely as an office. Uh, definitely sign up for our newsletter. <laughs> as well in our office, because that's where I'll, there in Twitter is where a lot of our information gets shared first. Thank you. Um, thank you all so much. And I just to pick up on your last point, Adam, about um, student activism, you're, you're queuing up my next episode where I'm going to be talking to the authors of a book about identity based activism. So I think I am going to ask that question, like, does this lead towards the type of political civic engagement, democratic engagement that we hope? Um, because I think that is the way that we create the change, right? That we're hoping to see is, is to actually get engaged and do do something, not just, not just talk about it. Um, thank you to all of you and to Stephanie as well for joining me today for this episode of Student Affairs Now. I'm really grateful for your time and all the contributions uh, to the conversation today. Uh, thanks to, to our dedicated behind the scenes work of our producer. We have given Nat Ambrosi a promotion from production assistant to producer. Um, thank you, Nat, for everything that you do to make us look great and sound great. Um, and we are so grateful for all of your time. 
If you are listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com and scroll to the bottom of the homepage to add your email to our MailChimp list. While you're there, please check out our archives. Thanks to the sponsors of today's episode, Leadership partners with colleges and universities to create transformational leadership experiences, both in person and virtually, for students and professionals with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. Leadership offers engaging learning experiences on courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find out more, please visit www.leadership.org slash virtual programs or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Our second sponsor today is Vector Solutions. How will your institution rise to reach today's socially conscious generation? These students report commitments to safety, well-being, and inclusion as important as academic rigor when selecting a college. It is time to reimagine the work of student affairs as an investment, not an expense. For over 20 years, Vector Solutions, which now includes the Campus Prevention Network, formerly EverFi, has been the partner of choice for 2,000 plus colleges and universities and national organizations. With nine efficacy studies behind our courses, you can trust and have full confidence that you will be using the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. Transform the future of your institution and the community you serve. Learn more at vectorsolutions.com slash studentaffairsnow. Please take a moment to visit our website. Click on the sponsors to learn more. Again, I'm Heather Shea. Thanks to everybody who's listening and watching. And thanks again to our fabulous guests today. Make it a great week, everyone.